0: First Peter chapter 5 First Peter chapter 5 First Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6 Pay close attention to the contrast to the wording of Peter here in this divine exhortation humble yourselves Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for He careth for you, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists set fast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I pray the Lord bless the reading of His Word. I have been looking at this passage of Scripture for some time now, and I feel glad that the Lord would have me to begin preaching on its context and on hopes that God would enable us to understand a little bit more about our spiritual battle, our spiritual warfare that we have with our adversary, the devil. I wish to closely examine the divine foundation, first of all, upon which Peter would build this threefold exhortation. And it is threefold. He said, we must be sober. We must be vigilant, and we must resist steadfast in the faith. Yet Peter builds a foundation first before explaining to us why it's necessary for us to be sober, vigilant, and resist in the faith Satan's attacks. For without a solid foundation... I believe all building, like the Lord said about building a house on sand and rock, without a solid foundation, all building would prove to be in vain when our adversary does approach us and afflict us. There's always a solid foundation to have. There's always a divine reasoning why we are exhorted to do things. Many Christians begin simply building without a foundation, and the Lord said that's a great mistake and great error because if your foundation is not solid, all your building will be in vain. And many believers, I believe, today are either overconfident in themselves and their abilities and knowledge of Scripture, that they fall into the snare of Satan, or They attempt to wage this warfare when they are yet unlearned and spiritually untrained. The whole armor of God is only good, or as good, as we are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians chapter 6. That's how Paul begins that subject about the whole army of God, be strong in the power of the Lord and in His might. The armor of a soldier is only as good as the heart of the soldier. If the heart is not in the battle, he can have the best armor in the world and he'll fail. When David heard Goliath and Saul heard that David wanted to go against the Goliath, Saul gave David his own armor and it was probably the finest, most fittest armor of the entire Israel army. The best of best. And yet, because David had not proved it, David said, I cannot go in that. It's your armor, but I'll take what God has taught me or how God has taught my hands to war. And God teaches us to war. That's why it's important for us to understand that Peter first builds a solid foundation before he gets to these threefold exhortations. And we need to build on that foundation because I believe that's vitally important for us as we attempt to resist the devil, okay, steadfast in the faith. It's amazing how Peter speaks of our humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt us, casting our cares upon him, for he careth for us, and then quickly reminds them that even though God does care for us, we have an adversary that's seeking to devour us, which is the greatest of the wonders, that God careth for us so much. He says, cast your care upon me, for I care for you. Or that God would exalt us, or that the Satan, or that our adversary, Satan, is such a horrific enemy and adversary against our souls. I wonder which is the greatest of the wonders. Of course, it should and must be the care and love of God. But it's amazing that God would love us so much and the devil would hate us so much. And yet, the scripture proves that that's the life of the believer in this world. It's a spiritual warfare, it's one which every true believer has given. All the spiritual armor of God needed to fight the good fight, to war good warfare, withstand the evil day, and resist our adversaries steadfast in the faith. God has equipped us. God has given us everything that we need, according to Ephesians chapter 6. And yet, though Peter would encourage every true believer to cast all their cares upon God, for he careth for them, Isn't it amazing how He quickly exhorts them to be sober and vigilant because of their adversary, Satan? God's great caring for us as true believers does not exempt or spare us from the onslaughts of Satan, but rather greatly incites them. That's what Peter's telling us. Listen, humble yourselves before under the mighty hand of God that He can exalt. He can exalt you. He can lift you up. Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Yet at the same time, be sober, be vigilant, because you have an adversary who's seeking to devour you. So don't let God's love and care for you make you slothful, indifferent to your adversaries. Devices and onslaughts. Something that's evidenced in the history of God's chosen people. For though one might be as perfect and upright as that of Job as we heard yesterday, God's testimony of Job was that he was perfect and upright to shoot evil. Yet, our great adversary, by divine permission, was allowed to greatly afflict Job. Be as righteous and perfect as you might be or think you are, and it still doesn't spare you the afflictions of Satan. By permission. Though one may have a true heart for God like that of David, a man after God's own heart, yet by divine permission again, Satan tempts him in First Chronicles 21. You can profess to have a heart full of love for God. It still do not exempt you or spare you from Satan's attacks. Though one might possess the greatest sincerity for Christ like that of Peter, Yet Satan, again by divine permission, sifted him as wheat. You can be sincere all you want. Oh, I'm sincere. God knows I'm sincere. I love God. It still doesn't exempt us or spare us from Satan's attacks. Though one may possess the greatest knowledge of God even under the third heaven. Like that of Paul. Yet Satan, by divine permission, and his messenger to buffet him. You can possess all the knowledge you want. Knowledge of God does not spare you Satan's attacks. We think they do. Well, if they did, then surely Christ would have never been tempted, right? And He was tempted. For even Christ Himself, the very Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, would be led by the Spirit, divine permission, he wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just chance. He was led by the Spirit. And we'll get in that in a few minutes with Peter's Humble Yourself. He was led. He was submissive to the Spirit of God. Where did the Spirit of God lead him? He led him in the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. So if Satan would even attempt the very Son of God, Why would we think that we're exempt or spared from the temptations and onslaughts of Satan? We're not. Have you be as perfect and righteous as Job? Have you all the knowledge of Paul? Have you the heart of David? Have you the sincerity of Peter? It doesn't matter. Satan still will do his best to devour God's people. If he has no whims to stand up and go against Christ, he has no whims when it comes to us. God's great care for us extends to His divine protection and even, if need be, His permission of Satan's onslaughts against us. It's the greatest comfort and encouragement. All those instances I described to you, if you'll check the text on those, all of those attacks of Satan were permitted by God first. God permitted it. God allowed it. You see, that's hard for me to understand that God would allow our adversary. He allowed it. He gave him permission God allowed Satan to do that. And to know that God gives permission first, in some way, gives strange comfort to every believer. Job knew that at the beginning of Job. Lord, give it, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we not receive good and evil as well as evil from the hand of God? He said to his wife. Job knew that in the beginning. Job recognized that in the beginning. There's a strange comfort in knowing that even Satan's attacks are only come are only come because they're permitted by God. It doesn't make God the author of sin. It just proves his sovereignty. that 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 no one of God's sheep shall be afflicted by Satan without God's divine permission. Satan has desired to sift thee as wheat, but I prayed for thy faith, our Lord said to Peter. And yet, even though that should give us the greatest of comfort and encouragement as believers, Peter quickly would remind us that that should never lead us to slothfulness and carelessness on our part. And this is very important because we live in a day and age where there are more and more people who are coming to know and understand the doctrines of grace, and yet they're using it in a way that that it produces slothfulness and complacency in their spiritual life. I don't have to do nothing because God's sovereign and He does everything. I don't have to worry about sin, I don't have to worry about temptation, I don't have to worry about Satan, because God is sovereign. And therefore, whatever happens is in His decreed will, and I just sit back and wait and ride the train of God's sovereignty into eternity. I don't have to be sober, I don't have to be vigilant, I don't have to be alert, I don't have to pray, I don't have to do all those things, because God's in total control, and I'll just sit back on the train of God's sovereignty, and I'll just float right into eternity. It's not the language of Scripture. Not even of our text. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. He may lift you up in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, free care for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Sounds like Peter saying, this is what your responsibility is. God will do all that for you, but you have to be sober. You have to be diligent. And you have to resist Satan in faith. I fear there are many believers, professing believers today, <clears throat> who possess a false security. For to observe their actions and careless behaviors, listen to me closely, if you were to observe their actions and careless behaviors, one gets the impression that they are not aware or even concerned about such a great adversary, that there's no spiritual conflict at all. When I look amongst Christians today, I wonder if they even realize we have a spiritual warfare going on about us. You know, Satan is very, very deceptive. He's an expert in deception. Do you know that? I'm laying the foundation of this threefold exhortation. Satan is an expert in deception. He's been walking about this world for thousands of years. Book of Job, oldest book in the Bible when they were gathered before the throne, God knowing it of himself, it asked Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. He's been walking around the world for years. He's wrought great heartache and woes upon the greatest of saints. And his arrogant and pompous pride even moved him to vainly and foolishly tempt the very Son of God. So why do we think or believe that we're any match for Satan? We've lived a few short years compared to the thousands of years he's been around. And he's messed with more people than just merely us and our finite understanding and knowledge. He messed with the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. He afflicted the man who had a heart after God. And yet we live a few years and we sometimes act as though We're a match for Satan. We're no match for Satan. It's amazing that it almost appears in this generation by many, not by all, by many Christians. Like I said, as though there's no spiritual warfare going on at all. Christians seem to be building an existence in this world as though they're going to be here forever, and they don't. That their actions and behaviors, they don't really consider. They're not being sober. They're not being vigilant. They're not being watchful, prudent. They're not considering things. They're not considering their actions and their motives and their thoughts and their behaviors as though Satan could be tempting them, as though there's no Satan at all. If you don't believe that, look at the divisions and schisms amongst God's people, which we'll look at a little bit next week, because Satan would divide man, uh, would put man against man. He would have man fight against man, and especially God's own sheep. He would have them turn against one another. If he can't do anything with Christ, and he knows he can't, what's he try to do? He tries to scatter his sheep. Beware of sheep who have teeth. A little preacher once said, sheep don't have teeth. They have sharp wolf's teeth. Beware of those who are tearing each other up. For whatever justification they might think they have, it's not biblical. And Satan uh, would scatter the sheep because he can't reach the shepherd. You have to beware about that. He would pit man against man and Christian against Christian. Isn't it amazing that the very first death in the Bible was the death of a righteous man by another man who was jealous of his righteous works? And be careful of that see we we live as though there's no adversary that that nobody's tempting us that there's not a there's not a there's not a possibility of us being tempted to think or do something wrong, and that the adversary is behind all that sometimes we give him too too much credit, I admit, but sometimes we don't give him enough credit. I've often spoke to Christians who's had trouble with other believers and had these thoughts about other believers, and I, I'd sit them down and I'd try to use some common sense, and I'd, I'd just simply say to him, "Do you really believe God would give you that thought towards your brother and sister? Do you really believe Christ would give you such a thought towards your brother and sister, which is of his body, we members of you really believe Christ would give you that thought? It only takes a few minutes to think about that and think Christ wouldn't do that. Why would he divide his own house? Then why do you think Christ gives you that thought towards your brother, that evil thought, that wicked thought? That We're not aware of Satan's devices. Paul said we shouldn't be ignorant of them, but we're not aware of them. And we let him tempt us and deceive us because we're not aware that there's a spiritual warfare going on. And we need to be. Aware that there's a spiritual warfare constantly going on. Though you might not see your enemy, believe me, Satan is ever walking about. He's consistent, unceasingly. We always got to be aware of that. Peter didn't know that. I mean, Peter's given great insight. Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord says, Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father in glory five verses later, Peter rebukes Christ. And it says he rebuked him. So Peter rebuked him back and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. He speaks to Satan through Peter. Peter wasn't aware it was Satan that was influencing him. And sometimes we're so ignorant of the warfare, we're not aware that it's Satan who's planting seeds of thoughts in our minds that are unbiblical, unchristian, unloving, uncaring. And we believe it's justified simply because our emotions have been hurt or damaged. Because or sober and vigilant, I'm getting ahead of myself, but sober and vigilant has to do with our state of mind. It does have to do with our state of mind, considering the consequences, thinking about it. To let go and let God is the most unbiblical expression I've ever heard in my life. You don't let go and let God. And Satan is more successful when he stays hidden. In the earlier days, he thought persecution was the key. I mean, thousands and thousands of Christians, numberless Christians were were, were killed crucified, put to the lions. It didn't do any good. Nowadays, he's more successful when he's silent behind the scenes and not so openly revealed. We have to be aware of that constantly, that there's a spiritual warfare constantly going on. And if we would stop and think for a minute, every single day of our lives, we can know and sense a spiritual warfare in every little thing we do, actually. We go to work and somebody says something that upsets us. Satan comes in and says, he's a jerk. Tell him he's a jerk. Tell him he's not right. Every little thing, spiritual warfare all the time, Satan tries to trip us up. The righteousness of a Job, the heart of a David, the sincerity of a Peter, the knowledge of Paul, were no match for such great adversaries. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. So therefore, it's important for us to understand, first of all, there is a spiritual warfare constantly going on. Satan doesn't stop and cease in his battle. He's constantly walking about. He's always there. He's ever-present. And we live in a generation of believers where that's not taught anymore. Christians are not taught or equipped for the spiritual battle. And therefore, they ignore it. They think it's not there. They're unaware of it. They're ignorant of it. And Satan, through that ignorance, has wrecked havoc amongst God's people. That's why so many Christians are suffering under disobedience and sin and rebellion and schisms and division in God's church. Everybody wants to justify their wrongful, sinful actions, and everyone somebody wants, well, wants to blame somebody else for their problems. Except maybe there's a spiritual warfare going on, and I've been deceived. Therefore, Peter would first, before giving the believer a threefold exhortation in our spiritual conflict with Satan, he'd lay the divine foundation for such exhortations and what is that and a lot of people miss that when they look at this passage of scripture this morning i don't want to miss that i want us to lay the foundation and then next week i want to build on this foundation here's the foundation for our being sober vigilant and resisting steadfast in the face our adversary verse six and seven humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of god follow me that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he through for you. Be sober. You see how he starts this? You see how he lays the foundation? Humility and total dependence on God's caring for us is what sets our hearts and minds to be sober and vigilant. To be able to resist steadfast in faith our adversary. Humility. Isn't that amazing? Beloved, it's true humility before God and a genuine faith in His caring for us that sets, like I said, our hearts and our minds to be sober and vigilant against our great adversary. Look over in James chapter 4. James uses the same wording here. Over in James chapter 4, in verse 6 and 7. Humility before God. I'm talking about being sober minded, vigilant, resisting Satan. What's the foundation? Humility. But he giveth more grace, verse 6, chapter 4 of James, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now watch this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now watch. Resist the devil. It's almost the same, and is the same, divine exhortation Paul of Peter gives. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, then be sober, vigilant, and resist Humility. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will fully from you. Again, submission. Humble submission to God is the very first foundation Peter would lay for us facing our adversary. Why humility? Why humility and submission to God? Why is it so vital for our resisting of Satan? Well, what's the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride and arrogance are the very offspring of Satan and sin. So if we attempt to resist Satan in a spirit of pride and arrogancy, what's going to happen? We're not going to be successful. It's a humble submission to the Almighty God. God. There can be no resisting of Satan when our hearts are filled with pride and self-confidence. It's impossible. Satan feeds on pride. He feeds on arrogance. You see, that, that sounds awful weird, how you confront your adversary with humility. Not humility because of the adversary, humility and submission to God. That is what what—that is what enables us to be sober and vigilant and resist steadfast in the faith. Our adversary is humility. I don't see very much of that today in many people's lives. In my own county as well, which I need more of. But there is an arrogance today amongst many Christians about their knowledge of God, especially those who proclaim or profess the doctrines of grace. There's a spirit of arrogancy and pride that is just unbiblical they set themselves up as judges and accusers of others who don't believe the same way they do. And then you ask yourself, I wonder who's leading them to do this, even if they're talking about someone who's holding a doctrinal error which I know that we must expose. You never do that in a spirit of arrogance and pride, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. God in meekness came down to sinful, prideful, arrogant man, and he humbled himself, condescended to be flesh and blood, to teach us the things of God. Yet when we get a little knowledge, we become judge and accuser of those who don't agree with us. Tell me Satan's not in that. Humility. Humility and submission before God is what enables us to be sober-minded and vigilant and gives us the power to resist Satan. Because Satan will feed on our pride and arrogance. Christ Himself is our example. Let me show you something in Luke. Luke chapter 4, when our Lord was led into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4. Christ is our example, right? He is our greatest example of how to deal with Satan when he was tempted. Now now watch what happens here. I'm not going to read the whole text here, but I'm going to, I'm going to read the first and latter part of it. Look in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Now listen to this. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from jo- Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know what led means? He submitted to the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He submitted. And we all know the rest of it where Satan comes in and tempts him three times and uses Scripture and all that. But now watch what happens at the end of that event with Satan in verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. It doesn't say forever. You need to know that. It said for a season. The the devil might be discouraged for a moment, but he'll be back. Always remember that. Remember this. Though we might today defeat one sin, there's thousands more behind it that we have yet to defeat. It's a never-ending battle that we will live in this life as Christians, beloved. You say that just makes Christianity seem boring or terrible or aggravating. No, that's the battle we're in as Christians in this world. We are not. We are not of this world. He left him for a season, but watch this. When Satan left him for a season, watch this, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. He was led by the Spirit, verse 1. After the temptation, uh, he returned in the power of the Spirit. You see the significance? He humbled, submitted himself to the leading of the Spirit, was tempted by Satan. But all those temptations only led to power of the Spirit. You see how it works? You say, well, the Lord was led by the Spirit humbly, yes. Do you realize I'm getting ahead of myself? Do you realize Christ didn't have to say one word to Satan? He could have just said... He didn't have to have patience to deal with Satan, all three temptations. Christ would have, Christ could have annihilated Satan if He wanted to. But for our case for our help for our benefit he was an example and we'll see more of that later because the word of god has a lot to do with our being sober vigilant because that's what inspires us to be sober and vigilant not our own understanding that's why the lord used the example in all three of those temptations getting ahead of myself again he tells satan it is written it is written it is written if you don't know what is written how are you going to be sober minded and vigilant of your own understanding of your own ideas you're going to think for yourself you're going to consider all this that's not going to work It's got to be done in the light of God's Word. That's why we say read, pray, meditate. That's why on Saturdays, I try to give you the text for Sunday so that you can go home at night, not just read it and meditate on it, think about it, pray over it, so when you get here, you've got some kind of, with me, some kind of advantage when you're sitting before the preaching, and you've already begun studying it yourself so that when God speaks to us, we can get as much as we can out of it because I'm telling you, beloved, if we think we can just come in and sit down and God's going to drop it in our lap, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) But when we get diligence and we pray, we labor by God's grace, that's when God feeds us from His Word. Proverbs 16 said, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How can we. Resist Satan in a prideful and arrogant spirit. So Peter says, no, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He shall exalt you in due time. He'll lift you up, but you've got to be humble. Before he says, be sober, be vigilant, and resist uh, uh, in faith, Satan, he said, you've got you to be humbly submissive to God's will. You've got to be humbly submissive to God's will because Satan will eat you up if you're full of pride. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility before honor is humility before destruction, the heart of man is haughty before honor is humility. Do you know that it is written twice in scripture of Satan's tempting of Peter? Do you know that twice that's why first Peter chapter five uh Peter wrote from experience he's been there he's done that. You know, when I was in the in the military, we had a platoon sergeant. When I went in, there were still some draftees in there. I know that for some of you it was a long time ago, but when I went in, there were still draftees there. And my platoon sergeant was a black man who served in Vietnam a few times. And he had this crooked little finger. When he pointed it, like at Christie, he'd be pointing over here. So when he pointed, you, you didn't know if he was pointing at you or somebody else. But I mean, the guy had experience. He'd been there. He'd seen warfare. And I had a lieutenant that come out of the academy, learned all the knowledge he could, read all the books he could, and his head, he had had knowledge, but he had no experience. I wouldn't follow that lieutenant across the street. I think I've mentioned that before, but I'm telling you, that sergeant? Man, I'd follow him anywhere. That dude knew what he's talking about. Why? He'd seen battle. He'd seen it. He'd been wounded by it. He'd, he'd seen friends wounded by it. He'd seen the mistakes he made in battle and how he had to correct himself. And beloved, that's just like Christians. That's why you ought to pay attention to older Christians. Because even though their, their ways might be sometimes a little awkward concerning to you, if they've been in the battle, they know more than you do. They've seen the hurt. They've been afflicted. They've fallen down. They've risen back up. They've got the scars to prove it. Paul even said that. I've got the scars. I've got the markings of Christ. What was he trying to say? He's trying to say, I'm telling you what it is to be a Christian. I've done it by experience. I've lived it by experience. And so that's why Peter was the perfect one to write 1 Peter chapter 5 concerning Satan. Cause the experience is sifting firsthand, but twice, twice in scripture is recorded of Satan's tempting of, of Peter. You know, the first time when Peter was filled with self-confidence and pride, he sought to rebuke Christ. Remember? Christ says, well, I have to go and I have to be, you know, submitted unto sinners and be crucified. The text I just told you a little earlier. And Peter stood up and rebuked him and said, that shall not happen. Christ said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Listen to me closely. That first temptation, Christ rebukes Satan through Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter is full of arrogance and pride. What did I say earlier about trying to resist Satan in the spirit of pride and arrogance? What's going to do? It's going to cause us to fall. It caused cause Peter to fall. See, Peter was full of pride and arrogance. He's going to rebuke Christ. He was sincere. It doesn't matter. He was going to rebuke Christ, or he did rebuke Christ. And the Lord said, no, get me behind me, Satan. But you know the second time when Satan desired to sift Peter... In Luke, what did Christ do for him there? He said, I pray for your faith. And after you've been converted, strengthen your brethren. You see the difference? The second one was more of humility. Peter was sincere, and yes, he would deny him three times, but it wasn't the same as the first one when he was full of pride and arrogance. You follow my, my thought? You follow scripture here? You've got to be careful about this thing of pride and arrogance when it comes to Satan. When it comes to his attacks and onslaughts. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. You see how Peter's preparing them for the text following? Humble yourself under God. the uh, the hand of the almighty God that He may exalt you in in due time He'll lift you up He'll lift you but humble yourself it it sounds strange humbling ourselves before our enemies but I'm telling you it does wonders humbly submitting, submitting ourselves to God the almighty God the almighty hand of God this is what sets our hearts and minds to be sober and vigilant against Satan's devices while enabling us, dearly beloved, to resist and steadfast in the faith. For it is a humble submission of the mighty hand of God that enables us to be sober. That's discreet, dispassionate, temperate. You know what dispassionate means? Don't let your emotions take over. Don't let your, too often we let our emotions take over. We do things, we govern ourselves, we behave ourselves according to our emotions. It's human, it happens, we're all guilty of that. But Paul said when it comes to the adversary, don't do that. Don't trust your compassion. Don't trust your emotions. But be sober. Be temperate. Be discreet. Be vigilant. Watchful. Circumspect. Careful to consider all circumstances and possible consequences. Think for a minute. Stop and think for a minute, is what he's saying. And that not in your own understanding, which we'll look at later, probably next week, not in your own understanding, not according to what we understand, but according to the Word of God. We always, we always be sober-minded. We must always be sober-minded and vigilant in accordance to the light of the Word of God. That's how we learn to be sober and vigilant. We give ourselves way too much to our own compassions and our emotions. More than we like to admit. We can't do that with Satan. Satan will play on that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. He'll lift you up. Humble submission to God's sovereignty and believing that God will lift us up in due time and that whatever befalls us, God will perfect that which concerneth me. You see, that's, that's how we approach Satan. Not humbling to Satan, but humbling before God. Why? Humble submission to whatever God's will is. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He allowed himself to be led of God, his Father, the Spirit, into the wilderness. For what? To be tempted by Satan. Humble submission to God that no matter what happens, God's will be done and God will lift me up in due time is amazing when he told Peter, he says, when you're converted, that mean, it doesn't mean really salvation, but when you've been converted, when you've been turned because of this, strengthen your brother. We should always be seeking to strengthen our brethren. If we've learned anything from Satan's onslaughts, we should seek to strengthen our brethren. Peter does that in First Peter quite a few times. He talks about trials and manifold temptations and Satan and speaks a lot about that. Why? Because he's doing exactly what Christ ordered him to do, strengthen your brethren, strengthen your brethren. This soberness and vigilance, beloved, is not not in accordance to our understanding or thinking, but always in accordance to the Word of God. Listen to me. Always in accordance to the Word of God. That's where our soberness and our vigilance needs to come from. Always in light, in accordance to the Word of God. Again, our example is Christ. When Satan came to test him, and Satan knows God's Word's amazing when he's singing that one psalm, where it talks about the angels shall keep your foot from falling. That's one of the temptations, one of the scriptures Satan used. Satan knows scripture. You think you're a theologian? Satan's a better one than you and I are. I guarantee you. He's a good theologian. In fact, he's so good that even his ministers are angels of light, Paul said. Uh, Don't don't try to beat him with, with scripture. Christ did because he's God. But I'm telling you, Satan knows scripture. Real good. But three times in Christ's temptation, three times the Lord said it is written. That's how we learn to be so reminded and vigilant. Not in our understanding, not our own thinking. All three can only be done in the light and power of God's most holy word. It is written. Christ is our example. And it's amazing because Christ could have annihilated him, but he says no. He said it is written. Satan brought scripture. Christ brought scripture. Satan brought scripture. Christ brought scripture. Why? He did that for an example for us. We're never going to be able to be sober-minded or vigilant, watchful, considering, prudent without the light of Scripture because it's a battle we don't understand. Scripture is what gives us light and strength and ability in that battle to be sober-minded and vigilant. That's why so often in my ministry... Christians will come to me and ask something and it's it's almost the same way that Christ used with the rich man when he came up to him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord says, What's the words what's what? scripture say? What's the law say? And you come in and you say, What's what's God's word say? Well I don't know. Well let me show you, but if you don't know what God's word is, how are you gonna be able to how are you can be able to do that? We govern our lives according to God's Word. That's why reading and meditation and prayer is important over God's Word. Preaching is is important in God's Word. Why? Because it teaches us. It it shows us the path we should go. It gives us sober-mindedness. It gives us vigilance. It enables us to consider our circumstances in the light of Scripture, not in our own. And we too often consider our circumstances in our own understanding. Do it in the light of Scripture. There can be no accomplishment in such afflictions because Peter says, and your, 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 your brethren in the other world have accomplished this. There can be no accomplishment in such afflictions. There can be no resisting steadfast in the faith when our hearts and minds are not first and foremost in total submission to God's perfect will. That's why Peter begins the foundation with perfect will with humility humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god that he might exalt thee in due time casting all your cares upon you on him because he cares for you now be sober and vigilant why with this humility (laughs) and unfeigned faith in god caring for us now in that state of heart and mind be sober be vigilant don't let it lead you to slothfulness or indifference just simply because God loves you that much and cares for you that much, it's because He loves you and cares you that much that you have an adversary. And He's always there. He's always there. doesn't matter. You ever notice He's there even when you sleep? Ever had any bad nightmares? Ever woke up in the middle of the night with a thought that just wasn't almost your own? He's constantly there. He's always there. So Peter says, be sober, be vigilant that you might resist him steadfast in the faith. Amen? That's why why Peter would have us understand the foundation of this spiritual conflict, this spiritual warfare, this foundation of it, is humble submission to God. Because you can't defeat Satan in our own pride and arrogance, in our own self-confidence. Can't do it. Can't do it. You can do everything you want to. That's why even Ephesians 6, before he says, put on the whole armor of God, he said, be therefore strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put ye therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, because if you're strong in the Lord the power of His might, the armor of God will work. If you're not strong in the Lord the power of His might, you can put all that armor on you want to. It's not going to be no effect to you. Because the strength of that armor comes from the Lord. And so may God give us grace to again, be aware that there is a constant battle going on. It, Satan don't take a vacation. <laughs> he don't. That's the, that's the whole meaning of it. he walketh about. He never rests. Never rests. We shouldn't either. When it comes to the spiritual warfare, always be alert, always be aware, always be conscious, be sober-minded, vigilant. When something comes in your life, it makes you start to think about something. When something happens in your life that makes you kind of think maybe wrongly or incorrectly or sinfully, first of all, first of all, try to ask yourself what the scriptures say. Would God would God do this to me? Would God give? The, is this from God or is it from Satan or is it from me? Most Christians don't think that far. They just immediately take it as being. And I really do believe with all my heart and heart and mind, I, I really do believe, and we'll look at that a little bit next week, I really do believe that's why we have so many schisms and divisions. I really do. It's pride and arrogance. We have too much of it. And Satan sets man against man, just like Cain against Abel. He's been doing that for thousands of years. And he's been very successful in the last 10 or 20 years. I don't remember... And I've been saved now 40 years. I don't remember 40 years ago. It might have been. I hadn't seen the whole world. But I mean, in the realm that I was in and the people in churches I visited, I don't remember seeing schisms so so bad and so abundant as they are today. And Christians are getting so independent. They're getting so self-confident. They don't need a church. They don't need a pastor. I can live Christianity on my own. Christians make their own judgment about where they ought to be. They don't consider God. They don't consider what God wants. I don't like that individual. I don't like the place. I don't like this. I don't like that. It's come this far to where churches would much rather have a lot of money and material goods. They don't care about preaching so much that they'd rather have that. If It's just, I'm telling you, if you don't see the markings of Satan in all this, you've got to be blind. His main objective is to scatter the sheep. And never have I seen Christians act more independently and of their own accordance in these last five ten years than I have in the full 40 years of being a Christian. And it just, it's amazing how so many professing believers could be ignorant to that and not see that. And really truly believe that that's something God would support. Yeah, you need to jump from that one fellowship to the other one. You need to have those thoughts toward them and this and that and whatever. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I've always believed, and unless you can prove me wrong, but I've always believed scripture. There's nowhere in scripture, there's nowhere in scripture that justifies Christians never being able to reconcile and forgive one another. There's nothing in there. False doctrine, yes, I agree with that. I'm talking about Christians. Seven times 70, 490 times a day. If you have your offering, you're coming to the altar. And you know your brother has ought against you, not you against your brother. Your brother has ought against you. Leave your sacrifice there and go to go to him who, well, wait a minute. You're talking about your brother has ought towards me. It's not my fault. It's not my problem, no. Even if you know he has fault against you, you go to him and reconcile it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, I ain't doing that because it's just, you know, they started it. Can you ever hear that? I'm just saying this is one of the grounds Satan has been very successful in and continues to be. And I think he's weakened God's people and God's church because of it. The church is weakened because of it. It is. It's weakened. God give us grace to be aware of Satan's tactics. Amen? And realize that we need to turn back to Scripture. Not just say it, but we need to turn back to Scripture. We need to let Scripture teach us to be sober-minded, vigilant, and have Scripture teach us how to resist Satan steadfast in the faith. Amen? And may God give us grace Amen. to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, I pray that during this time, by Your grace and by Your Word, we've been able to strike at our adversary, to expose his deceptions, his lies, his deceits. I pray that, Father, after this morning, throughout this week and beyond, we'd be more alert, more watchful. Lord, we'd be reminded that though he might lie still, still waters run deep, that he's ever walking about seeking whom he may devour. I pray that, Lord, you'd give us spiritual eyes and senses to understand this. And I pray that, Lord, when we do, and we will because, Father, we all fail as Peter did, and Paul did, and Job did. Lord, when we fail, when Satan gets an advantage of us. I pray, dear God, that, Lord, You'd help us like You did Peter, that You'd pray for our faith, and that, Lord, after we've been converted, You'd enable us to strengthen the brethren with the same experience that, Lord, You've given us. Help us, Father, we pray, to be more diligent, more militant in our thinking as Christians, not slothful, Lord, not being so engulfed in the things of this world that, Father, we forget that we have a spiritual warfare, Lord, help us, Father, to always be alert and be aware. I pray, Lord God, that You'd be honored and glorified and always say and do, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.